0: Hello and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. Hey Hope Brooklyn, my name is Ryan, I'm on the pastoral team here and I'm just so excited that we have this moment here on this Sunday morning to dive into the scriptures together and discover what Jesus has to say to us today. We've been in the middle of a series entitled Jesus With Us, and we've been tracking Jesus's journey after his resurrection, those 40 days he spends with his disciples. And we are looking at these interactions Jesus has with his disciples and and mapping those interactions on to our own lives to understand what it means for Jesus to meet us, to be present with us in our lives today. We've examined what it means for Jesus to be present with us in our loss, what it means for him to be present with us in our shame, our doubt, even our disenchantment. But the thing about the presence of Jesus, when Jesus is present to us, when he's proximate to us, when he's in our vicinity, his presence does something to us. It challenges us and it empowers us. And over the next few weeks, we're going to transition a bit to to focus not just on what Jesus does for us, but then what he does to us when his presence is proximate to our lives. And we're going to talk this Sunday about what it means for Jesus to challenge us. And next week, Greg's going to preach an incredible sermon about what it means for Jesus to empower us. Before we do all that, let's pray, though, and get ready to receive the word together. Pray along with me. O Lord Jesus Christ, open the eyes of our hearts that we may hear your word and understand and do your will. Hide not your commandments from us, but open our eyes that we may perceive the wonders of your law. Speak unto us the hidden and secret things of your wisdom. On you we set our hope, that you shall enlighten our minds and with understanding and open our eyes to the light of your knowledge, not only to cherish those things which are written, but to do them that in reading the lives and sayings of the saints we may not sin, but that such may serve for our restoration, enlightenment, and sanctification, for the salvation of our souls and the inheritance of life everlasting. For you are the enlightenment of those who lie in darkness, and from you comes every good deed and every gift. Amen. You know, as we were preparing and kind of planning out this sermon, we, we knew we needed to reach a point in the series where we began to consider what it means for Jesus to, to challenge us, to empower us. Because Jesus isn't just present with us in the low moments of our lives. He's not just present with us in our shame and our disenchantment. His presence actually does something to us. That, that when Jesus is present and proximate to us, that a change undergoes, something happens to us. And that change starts with challenge. Jesus, when he's present to us, his presence, his, his person, who he is, challenges our very understanding of who we are and what we believe about the world. And I was preparing for this message. I began to think back to um, the early marriage counseling I took with my wife before we got married. And I remember the, the, the one thing that sticks out to me to, to this day about that class was when they began to talk about expectations, And the the marriage counselor who was leading the class began to talk to us about what it means to have hidden underlying expectations going into a relationship. And that often a lot of disgruntledness and a lot of kind of friction in a marriage is is the result of hidden unmet expectations. The the things we believe our spouse should do, the, the things we believe the person we are in relationship should do, And we don't even realize they don't know that we think they should be doing these things. And and those unmet expectations, those unrealized, untalked about expectations cause friction. And I began to think, this is not just true of human relationships, but it is true about our outlook on the world and our outlook on God. See, every human has undiagnosed, often unexamined presuppositions. They're, they're beliefs about the world that, that we don't quite realize we hold. They, you know, they can fall into three broad philosophical categories. They can be metaphysical presuppositions. These are presuppositions about what we deeply believe about reality, being, what it means to be, what it means to exist. They can be epistemological presuppositions. These are presuppositions about what it means to know and have knowledge. What is truth and can truth be known? They're ethical presuppositions. The things we believe are innately right and wrong. And through the course of our lives, we pick up these presuppositions often as a result of the way, they're ra- way, the way we're raised and, and the things we observe in and, and the culture and in our family lives. And, and we kind of download these presuppositions that form our worldview, that, that inform how we interact with people, how we view the world, and how we think about God. And the issue is, is that when we enter into relationship with Jesus and we enter into relationship with God, we bring with us those presuppositions, those expectations about who God is and what he should and shouldn't be doing. And we often realize that there's a disconnect between what we believe about God and who God really is. And all of a sudden, the expectations, the presuppositions we had about God are challenged by God's own self-revelation. And if we're honest, there's frustration. There's kind of this tension now because we thought God would be one way. We thought God would be doing this. We thought God should, do, should have done this in this situation. And now we begin to realize that God's self-revelation might actually challenge what we believe about him. God challenges our presuppositions about him. And so <clears throat> the question is, should God challenge our presuppositions? And when, when we come into relationship with Jesus, should there be a reordering about our fundamental beliefs? I think Yes. Because any God that looks exactly like the God we picture in our heads, that lines up with us on every single thing, may not be God at all. But a a fiction, a a development of our own imagination, our our own desire to put God in a box and, and make him like us. Ultimately, that's what idolatry is, fashioning God so he becomes like us. And so Jesus, when we encounter him and we meet his presence and we encounter his self-revelation through scripture and the power of the spirit, all of a sudden our expectations, our presuppositions about God are challenged. And I think this challenge is necessary if we are going to be empowered by God to be the people he is calling us to be. And so today, we're going to go into the book of Acts, St. Luke's account of the early church, and we're going to examine what it means for Jesus to challenge our expectations. What does it mean for Jesus to confront our deepest longings so that we become the people he is calling us and shaping us to be? If you have your Bibles, read Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. It says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, And a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So what's happening here? We are coming to the end of the 40 days Jesus has spent with the disciples. We're coming to the end of his post-resurrection encounters. This is it. This is the end. Jesus, the resurrected Savior, the resurrected Messiah, is now ascending to his Father. And with him, he's going to bear all authority and power and begin his rule and reign in this new creation kingdom he has launched. And so, as Jesus is preparing to leave his disciples, it's natural that they would have questions for him. Questions about what this kingdom is going to look like, questions about timing, questions about, man, what is this whole project going to look like now that you are leaving us? And so they asked the question, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, we have to understand why they're asking this question, because it's not a wrong question. Oftentimes, when this text is preached, we disparage the disciples for asking this question. But if we read the Old Testament prophets, Israel's spiritual renewal is coupled with the sending of the Spirit. And with the sending of the spirit and this spiritual renewal is also coupled with this political revival of Israel. We have to remember when the prophets are writing to the people in exile, they are describing a a future Israeli political kingdom that's renewed spiritually and is out of the grip of their foreign oppressors. And it's only natural. That with the Spirit coming and Jesus ascending, the the disciples begin to ask, is this the time when you restore the nation of Israel to political prominence? Is this the time where we're going to be free from our Roman oppressors? Is this the time when you're going to reestablish the monarchy and take the throne and rule over the nations? Is this the time? Because the spiritual renewal is happening, the spirit is coming, but is this political renewal, this this restoration of the kingdom of Israel, this temporal kingdom that you promised, is it coming? These are the disciples' expectations of what it means for Jesus to restore the kingdom. This is what they thought was going to happen. This is the the promises they've been feeding on in the scriptures they've been dreaming of. And so they come to Jesus with these expectations, with these questions. And Jesus challenges their expectations. And his challenge is this. It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. Notice he doesn't dismiss their expectations. He doesn't chastise them too harshly he challenges their expectations by subtly subverting their expectations and by radically fulfilling their expectations what do i mean by this notice jesus's approach the first thing he tells him it's not for you to know the time This is a subversion of their expectations. They thought that the coming of the restoration of a political Israel was imminent, that the overthrow of the Roman Empire was near, and that this spiritual renewal would also bring this political, temporal renewal to the kingdom of Israel. They thought that was imminent. They thought that was coming. They had a timeline. They had an expectation of what this project, this new kingdom, new creation project was going to look like. And for them, it looked like the restoration of a temporal political power in ancient Palestine free from Roman oppression. But Jesus subverts that by telling me, it's not for you to know the time. In other words, the Father is not working on your timetable. He is not working according to what you think Israel's restoration should look like. You think Israel's restoration should go one way, but actually the Father is doing something completely different and is not going to run according to human plans. It's not going to run according to human purposes. While they were concerned with a temporal political reality, God the Father and his Son and the Spirit were concerned with a cosmic eternal kingdom. That in order for them to see the fullness of what Jesus' kingdom was going to bring, they had to get out of their their temporal expectations. They had to get out of their hope in political renewal. And they had to look to what Jesus was doing, establishing a cosmic kingdom that was not going to just restore Israel, but was going to restore the nations. And so Jesus says, hey, it's not for you to know the times It's not for you to know what the Father is doing because the Father doesn't operate according to how you think he should operate. He is doing something far greater and far grander and Jesus subverts their expectations. But Jesus doesn't just leave them there. He doesn't just subvert their expectations and then ascends to the heavens. No, 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 no. He then says this, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus subverts their expectations, but then he radically fulfills their expectations. These presuppositions they had, these these longings they had to see the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, weren't wrong longings, they were just too small often our preconceived notions about God, about the world, about others, oftentimes they're loaded with half-truths. When we see injustice in the world, we have a longing to see justice set right, but sometimes these longings for justice need to be subverted, and they need to be challenged and, and reshaped as we begin to wrestle with what does it mean to show justice and mercy. Sometimes when we look at the environment and we look at the devastation around the globe to our natural resources, we begin to think, what, 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 what should God be doing here amongst us? What should we do to be good stewards of creation? And sometimes what we think we should be doing needs to be subverted so God can invite us into a radical new vision of what it means to live in God's good creation. God doesn't just subvert their expectations. He doesn't just challenge their presuppositions by dismissing them or by challenging them and by leaving them where they're at. He challenges them by subverting them and then fulfilling their expectations. See, the longing for the restoration of the kingdom of Israel wasn't bad. Their presuppositions about a new kingdom that was gonna rule and reign and and serve as a source of spiritual renewal for the nations wasn't bad. It just needed the God picture. It needed God's view. What we believe about God is that he is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. That he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and he exists in all space and time at once. That he is not bound by time and space, but he exists outside of them and oversees and controls them. And so what this means for our theology about God is that God has a perspective on history that we lack. God has a perspective on people that we lack. God has a perspective on his action in the world that we lack. And sometimes, though our expectations and our presuppositions have some good roots in them, they need that God perspective so that we can share and see what God is doing in the world rather than limiting God to our narrow scope of history. And so... Jesus radically fulfills their expectation by saying, hey, what you want to happen, you want me to take the throne, you want me to raise up a political power in Israel, you want me to overthrow your Roman oppressors and reestablish and restore Israel its sovereignty. That's not how it's going to work. I'm going to do something far greater and far grander. I'm going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to proceed from the Father and I, and he's going to enter into you and empower you, and you are going to be the ones that bring about my new creation project. You're going to partner and help me establish my kingdom and expand Eden's borders so that not just Israel can be restored, but all creation can be restored. And I want you to participate in it. Jesus radically fulfills their expectation by going above and beyond what they thought restoration could be. You know, they wanted restoration to be this temporal thing. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm restoring all things. I am making all things new. And so Jesus challenges their expectation by subverting them, by saying, listen, your scope is limited, you, you, you're narrow in, in, in what you think I can do, and so what I'm actually going to do, I'm going to radically fulfill your expectations by giving you a God-sized perspective on history, so that you see what I'm actually doing in the world, and that what, you're, what the dreams and the expectations, the presuppositions you have about what I should be doing, actually can get better context, and now they're actually far grander and far Greater than you can realize. Jesus challenges their expectations by radically subverting them and by gloriously fulfilling them in ways they can't ask, think, or imagine. And Jesus wants to do the same with us. We have presuppositions about God, about what He should be doing in the world, about what He should be doing in our own lives, about how He should be moving and acting. Some of us have presuppositions, expectations about the future of our church. And being in the middle of a new lead pastor search and then finding someone to be the lead pastor and um, you know, that, that whole process that for many of us in the beginning of twenty twenty one, that wasn't on our radar. Those weren't our expectations of what God was doing in our community. And yet here we are. For some of us, you know, we had a five year plan and then twenty twenty blew that thing out the water and we're trying desperately to understand what God could be doing through this whole mess. We look at the suffering going on in our world, and we say, is there any good that can come out of this? What is God doing? What is this? What's going on? And we have expectations and presuppositions about what that should look like. And God is saying today, just as I challenge my disciples to to rethink restoration, I want you to rethink your presuppositions about me. I wanna challenge your expectations. Not saying that your expectations are wrong. Some expectations maybe need to be radically reformed and sometimes we have expectations of God that run against his self-revelation and I think that's a different topic but often we we have desires that are rooted in beauty and good and truth but they're narrow in their scope and they need to be challenged. The perspective we have on our lives about, uh, the perspective we have on, on our communities and, and what's happening in the world, we need to get out of our narrow scope and allow God to challenge us by subverting our expectations so that he can radically fulfill them in ways we can't imagine. I don't know what those expectations are for you. I mean, we could sit here and talk for ages about all our presuppositions, about all our expectations, all the things we think God should have done or should be doing, But I think if we're going to follow Jesus, which is an act of faith, which is an act of trust and belief and obedience, then we need to allow him to challenge our expectations. We need to allow him to subvert what we think should be happening and allow him to radically fulfill and give us that God perspective that show us that God is actually doing things far beyond we can imagine. But in order for that to happen, in order for this challenge to take effect, in order for the subversion and fulfillment to, to happen, we need to partner with God in what he's doing. See, often when we talk about sanctification, there are two extremes. Either it's completely dependent on us and our will, or either we are just automatons, puppets like Pinocchio, God's pulling the strings and we have no part. And that's actually a false, two false dichotomies of what sanctification is. Sanctification is a divine and human work. It's initiated by God and completely bound up in the grace of God, and yet requires our wills and human participation. And so if we're going to let God challenge our expectations, there are some things we can do to allow him to work on us, to allow his Holy Spirit to take root so that we might be challenged and then have our vision restored. And how do we do this? First, we have to be honest about our presuppositions and expectations. You know, I I remember um, being in a professor's class and we're talking about Interpreting the Torah, and it was a beautiful class. And one of the first things he says is, "He says you have biases, you have hidden, undiagnosed, unexplored presuppositions about the world." And he says, "If you're going to be good readers of scriptures, and I think this applies to being good followers of Jesus, we need to own those things. We need to acknowledge and own that we have presuppositions about God." That we have presuppositions about what he is and what he should be doing. And we need those presuppositions exposed. We need to own them. We need to put them on front street, lay the cards at the table and say, okay, this is what I think God should be doing. Rather than leaving them unexplored and getting frustrated with God, we need to put them on front street and allow them to be challenged. How do we do this? The practice of asking questions. Notice, it's the disciples' questions that bring to the table their presuppositions. They ask the question, and it reveals what they really think about Jesus' kingdom project. We need to ask questions in prayer. We need to go before God and say, God, this, what are you doing? Or, this is what I think, God, and I how is this happening or or why are you doing this or when are you gonna do this? And often those questions reveal what we really think about God and who he is and what he's doing. And we need to allow that process to happen and own those presuppositions when they're revealed. We also do this in the community of faith. We, we, we come to one another. There's wisdom and safety in community. You know, there's, this, there's this proverb that, that recurs throughout the proverbs, the idea of, of seeking out wisdom, that wise people love wisdom, that fools reject correction. And so we need to surround ourselves with the people of God who are filled with the Spirit and bring them into our discernment processes as we try to own our expectations. Get another look rather than the thing we see in the mirror. Allow other people to look at us, look into our lives and reveal, man, what could be some unrealistic expectations or expectations that run against the grain of who God revealed himself to be? Next, we need to prayerfully consider how Jesus might subvert our expectations. That means we need to take our expectations, we need to take our presuppositions and draw them up in front of God's self-revelation, which is the scripture. The scripture is God's self-revelation to us in him and in his son Jesus. And through the scriptures, God has revealed himself to us. He has made himself known through his son and the story of his son has been revealed in the scriptures. And so our presuppositions need to be examined against the scriptures. And that means we need to become good stewards of the scriptures, learning how to read them well so that we might discern what is our own presuppositions about God and who God really is. Then we need to look for God's unlikely fulfillment. The longer I've read scripture and the longer I've been a Christian, I, I truly believe God works in mysterious ways. God often works in the ways that run against the grain of human reason. God often works in ways that are unlikely, unnoticeable, and mysterious. It's no wonder that when Jesus begins to launch his kingdom mission, he calls tax collectors, fishermen, religious zealots, and he hangs out with sinners. It's no wonder when, when Jesus gives the, he gives his beatitudes and he gives those blessings, it's the peacemaker, the meek, the mild, the vulnerable. They are the blessed ones rather than the powerful. Jesus moves through unlikely ways. Jesus took on his crown and took his throne by dying on a cross, Jesus moves in unexpected and unlikely ways. And so we need to discern in our lives and and look for God's unlikely fulfillment. Look Look in the spaces and places we've ignored and discern where God is moving in ways we had not expected looking for the miracles hidden in the mundane, looking for the things God is doing in the world that we have glossed over because of our presuppositions about him. And lastly, once we've done all that, we've been made aware of our presuppositions, we've had them challenged and subverted, and we begin to look for how God is unlikely, unlikely fulfilling and and going about his work in the world, then we need to participate in it. We need to participate in God's paradoxical paradoxical kingdom. We need to participate in the paradox of the Christian life, which is to cling to a God who became man, who achieved life by dying, and who is restoring his good creation through sinful creatures he is making saints. That is the paradox of the Christian life. And we are called to participate in that. And next week, Greg is going to speak about what it means for for Jesus to empower us to participate in that kingdom work. But there is work to be done, and so Jesus doesn't just subvert our expectations. He doesn't just challenge our our presuppositions. He he actually transforms our vision so that we can participate in what he's doing and God is doing things. He's moving in this community. He's doing a new thing in Hope, Brooklyn that we can't see or perceive or imagine. He's doing new and powerful things in and around this community that we can't even comprehend because we need eyes to see and ears to hear. And so I don't know what presuppositions or expectations need to be subverted in your life. But I do know God wants to challenge them. He wants to subvert them so that he can gloriously fulfill them and invite you to participate in the paradox of his kingdom where up is down and down is up and the meek inherit the earth. And so allow me to pray for us and then we'll go and take the bread and the cup together. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to thee so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills that we may be wholly thine, utterly dedicated unto thee, and then use us, we pray, as thou will, and always to thy glory and the welfare of thy people, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.